2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. The buzz today? Stargazing. Oh, cast your gaze heavenward. Let me get started. Since our series, Social Selling with Game Changers, debuted a couple of months ago in September 2015, we've discussed a plethora, if you'll allow me that word, a plethora of topics, starting with the state of social selling. What is it? Where did it come from? Who's doing it? Why should they? We've talked about strategies for creating your company's social selling program who should be involved who not should, should be involved and we've talked off and on about social selling best practices because that 's what you need to know well our thought leader panelists over these 12 past weeks have backed all this up with solid proof points let me just review a few with you ninety eight percent of sales reps who have five thousand wow five thousand or more LinkedIn connections are achieving quota the source is sales benchmark index another stat. of social introductions generate a sale. Well, that's the whole point, sources DSWA. Another one. 72.6% of salespeople who use social media are outperforming their sales peers. That's another goal. Double source social media and sales quota survey. And final stat, 61% of U.S. marketers use social media for lead generation, and the source is IBM. They are out there, are you? So as a fitting end to Season 1, and we are coming back for Season 2 starting in early 2016, I'm very happy to announce, today we'll be looking back at 2015 and ahead to 2016 and beyond. We'll see if there are any surprises in them thar hills of social selling over this year. The experts speak and I'm delighted to welcome back the same panel that helped us launch this series. So let's get started with our quotes of the day. First up, Kurt Shaver, the CEO of the Sales Foundry, sent me a wonderful quote from Woody Allen in the movie Annie Hall. Those of you who may not remember, Woody Allen played a comedian named Alvy Singer who examined the rise and fall of his relationship with struggling nightclub singer annie hall played by the inimitable diane keaton and i'll let it go at that here's the quote 80 percent of success is just showing up kurt shaver welcome back how are you kurt
3: hey i am great bonnie glad to be here
2: well we couldn't do the closing of the season without you since you helped open it so we're talking bookends here kurt love the quote from annie hall tell me how you picked it for today's show
3: Well, it's a popular one I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, but I see it applying to the social selling world because as uh, the B&B buying experience has really changed, I think that the idea of showing up for today's salespeople means really being active on social networks. You know, it's just nobody answers their phone or responds to cold emails anymore, so that um, idea of really just going where the customers are is one way to show up, and that's best done on social networks these days.
2: Mm, do you think 80% is enough on social networks today, Kurt, relevant to some of the the statistics I used in the opening? What do you see?
3: Well, uh, it's certainly a good start. I mean, people are, are learning new skills, and so they, they need to walk before they run. So I think as they get more comfortable with you know, sharing content and uh, commenting on what other people are doing. It's just, you know, one more way to engage in their marketplace and showcase their expertise.
2: Thank you. I have one more question for you before we move on to our second panelist. In your viewpoint, does 80% apply to each salesperson who is participating on social using 80% of their time on social, or is it 80% of your sales force showing up each 80% of their time? How do you apply that number? (laughs)
3: Well, I am certainly not saying that 80% of a salesperson's time should be spent on social networks. I think that's um, way too much in terms of a time commitment. I think that what the 80% is really referring to there is that – the, the 80% of, of success has to do with them being present and on their customers' radar. Social is one of those ways to do it. Uh, of course, it might be face-to-face. It might be web demos. It might be telephone calls. It might be emails. These are all going to combine into that showing up idea, but social has to be a part of that.
2: Okay, I think that's what we worked very hard to establish this season on the show. Thank you so much, Kurt, and welcome back. And now let me introduce again your colleague, Jim Fields, who is Vice President of Customer Experience Marketing for SAP. And Jim has selected a quote from the recently departed Yogi Berra. We get lots of Yogi quotes, but this is a new one for Game Changers Radio. And the quote is, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. (laughs) He had a way with words. Jim Fields, how are you?
4: I'm great, Bonnie, and thanks for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: We are delighted. How could we, as I said to, to Kurt Shaver, how could we have this show wrapping up the season without you two? So you had to be here. So, Jim, Yogi Berra, are you a big fan? Uh, I I grew up a Mets fan, but
4: I, I Yogi, you know, for a few years was manager of the Mets and was a long-term coach. So I did grow up, uh, you know, looking up to Yogi and admiring his uh, his particularly his skills of observation. And, um, you know, he's well-known for people may call some of his quotes uh, like malapropisms, but I think mm-hmm. there's an eternal logic to the way he talks about things that really um, resonates with people. And so I, I picked this quote that nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded, because I think it's reflective of the state of the Internet and social media today, in that trends are coming along so quickly that... By the time they become, you know, uh, adopted in a mainstream way, the leaders and innovators have moved on to the next big thing. So I think Yogi really, uh, you know, presaged the the, the, the trends in the Internet when he had that quote, you know, many years ago.
2: I love it. Jim, it is so apropos, and it reflects back on the opening statistic I gave, 98% of sales reps with 5,000 or more LinkedIn connections. So talk about being a crowded space. And there is that sense of, damn I'm late to the party nobody will pay attention to me or it's not new anymore Perfect quote. Thank you so much, Jim, and again welcome back. And Thank of you. course, we have my pleasure. We have to round out the triumvirate with Ms. Kirsten Boyleau, Director of Digital Startup, leading SAP social business and social selling initiatives for SAP Global Marketing. Kirsten, that's a very long title. We have to do something about <laughs> that. We'll just say our social media, digital startup queen. I'll just like that. It's so much easier. So here's Kirsten has invited a quote from Frederick Douglass who would be shocked and awed to land and <laughs> His voice, his words on a show about social selling, he'd say, what? We were always social, but we know that. Here's the quote, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. And, Kirsten, before you answer, I just want to mention that Frederick Douglass, whose last name is spelled with two S's, lived from 1818 to 1895. He was a former slave and an eminent human rights leader in the abolition movement. And what's interesting that our panelists and our audience may not know, in 1848, Frederick Douglass was the only... Only African-American to attend the first women's rights convention at Seneca Falls, New York, where Elizabeth Cady Stanton asked the Assembly to pass a resolution stating the goal of women's right to vote called women's suffrage. So a little trivia. Did you know that, Kirsten?
5: I actually did not. Thank you for that well, little
2: piece of knowledge. Very good. My, Thank you. My pleasure. So, if there is no struggle, there's no problem. Sounds like another iconic quote, similar to the great one that Jim brought us from Yogi. How did you come to pick a quote from Frederick Douglass, of all people, Kirsten?
5: I, well, I was just doing some research the other day, and I think I was in a, a bit of a struggle frame of, frame of mind, and I came across that, and I thought, oh, I think I really like that from my show coming up next week. <laughs>
2: Uh, It really
5: speaks to, to what we're, you know, to what we're trying to do with social selling, it, it's it's not an easy path. Trying to convince people that social media is the way to go is, in some cases, it works. For, it, you know, it's quite easy to convince them and show them, and, and they've had great exper- or they've had the experience to see that, you know, that cold calling and cold emailing doesn't work. But in other cases, it's it can be a real struggle. And and I think when you struggle with something, it makes your your case stronger. It it really helps you to build that great foundation to go forward on.
2: Thank you. And it it reminds me a little bit, Kirsten, I know you have young children. It reminds me of when children get to a certain plateau and they don't seem to be making progress, whether it's talking or walking or getting out of the terrible twos. You think it'll never end. And then they start to struggle that first step up, that first climb up the stairs, that first full sentence. And, And it's a triumph, but it's also a struggle getting off of the comfort zone and into that next level, achieving and aspiring and succeeding at the next level. Do you think there's a parallel here?
5: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that... um as As sales teams start to to embrace social selling they're go- there are going to be struggles it 's not an easy thing we 've always said that social selling is a journey it 's not a quick fix, and you can't expect instant results I mean sometimes they happen, but for the most part, it requires you know dedication and time and and being present as as Kurt mentioned you know being present in those social social um, platforms and and actually actively engaging and and that can be a struggle for some people for sure.
2: Thank you very much, Kirsten. We have assembled the trio. We've got Kurt Shaver, Jim Fields, and Kirsten Boilo back in action here. How appropriate for our wrap-up of Season 1. We're calling this episode the future of social selling, 2015 surprises, 2016 predictions. And the show will include predictions not just at the end but all the way through. I'm going to circle back. I'm not going to predict at all what my three panelists are drinking today. So let's see if they want to give us another 2015 surprise surprise we may as well play off the title gentlemen and lady so kurt shaver where are you calling from and what are you drinking right now
3: so i am calling from sonoma county california which many people know is the heart of wine country and it's a little early for wine out here so so beyond uh just wine it's really agriculture country out here Many people might not know this is where the famous botanist Luther Burbank established his farm and and all his research. And so uh, I am partaking in another great bounty from Sonoma County, which are apples. So I'm having some nice local heirloom apple juice right now and uh, enjoying some of the local flavors
2: well, it sounds wonderful—a perfect thing to do on at fall. We're almost well. That's actually the week I was going to say. We're almost at the end of November. This is the week of Thanksgiving here in the U.S. A uh, quick comment: I was no—I saw. I guess it was on uh, CBS Sunday Morning yesterday. Uh, a big feature on—I guess it was last week—a big feature on agrihoods, where entire new communities are springing up around farms that are being run. To create produce and farmers markets for the neighborhood, and that reminds me of what you said about Luther Burbank. I think he would have very much appreciated it. Where rather than a golf course or a tennis court, communities are springing up. Builders are raising homes around whether it's five acres or 25 or a thousand acres farms to help feed the neighbors who move into the neighborhood. Very interesting. Did you know that, Kurt?
3: Agrihood. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know that specifically, but there is certainly uh, a number of movements i think related to that i mean there's the farm to table movement which is very yes. popular and there's there's yes. another one I, I don't know the exact label but there's a but there's this real um like cachet or pride that people have if uh the the, the smaller the radius that the food on their table comes from yes. like the more points they get in this you know certain culture right so like if everything comes within five miles of you you're like the ultimate in this particular um food gamification game maybe exactly. one, or other folks know what that's called
2: and if it's 40 yards away even you're even higher up on the so-called food <laughs> ah, there chain you go. there you go that was what the article is about take a peek it was last week's uh, cbs sunday morning anyway let's move on to jim fields jim where are you calling from and what are you drinking
4: Bonnie, I'm calling you from the neighborhood of Sunset Park, Brooklyn, which is a oh. wonderfully ethnically diverse neighborhood. And um, in honor of that, I am sitting here drinking a mango bubble tea, which for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of experiencing bubble tea, is kind of like a, a fruit tea smoothie with um, tapioca beets in it. So it's quite, uh, quite delicious.
2: Yes, and I know they sell it in the uh, Flushing, Long Island. I'm on Long Island, as you probably remember, Jim. And in Flushing, it's a big Asian enclave, and every corner has a, a stand selling or a small uh, coffee, tea, whatever you want to call it, restaurant, uh, refreshment stand, shall we say, selling bubble tea from one to the other to the other. Very. I've never had it, but it looks very interesting. Keep those tapioca bubbles floating, Jim.
5: Well, and hopefully let's... now you're
4: intended to try it.
2: I'm certainly going to. Thank you very much. From Great Neck to Flushing is just a short drive. I'll have to go take a trip. Thank you for the encouragement. Kirsten Boileau, what do you call where are you calling from and what's in your cup today?
5: I am calling from very snowy and very cold Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Uh, no, 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 no. Wait
2: a minute. Seriously?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We How probably much? got about uh, 10 centimeters over the weekend, which is about four inches, I think.
2: Oh. Are your kids And nobody's figured snowmen? out how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Are your kids making snowmen or snowgirls already? Oh, they
5: did. Yeah. They spent most of yesterday outside. Yeah, for sure.
2: Very nice. And what you, what's in your cup? Something warm, I hope.
5: No, actually. I oh. uh, just finished a detox uh, pina colada smoothie. It had um, spinach and mango
2: and pineapple and coconut oil in it. Oh, and lime, lime juice. Lime juice. Well, that'll perk you up. Well, thank you very much, and as the three of you may remember, they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages. Uh, I keep that very generalized now on radio show days, but I have a cool, clear cup of filtered water in a nice glass mug, nothing fancy, and I put a green straw in today, and green stands for the successful outcome of well-done social selling. So we're talking today once more with Kurt Shaver, the CEO of The Sales Foundry, Jim Fields, VP of Customer Experience Marketing for SAP, and Kirsten Boilo. I will just abbreviate her title to Director of Digital Startup and Lead of Social Business, and we'll just leave it there. That's a long title. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to episode number 13 in a series we started in September of this year, 2015. Our topic today is the future of social selling, surprises from 2015, predictions for 2016. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin out.
1: Social media is taking sales organizations by storm, and only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a new tool that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and building the systems to truly measure the impact of social. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Social Selling with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to social selling with Game Changers.
2: Welcome back. This is episode number three in season one of social selling with game changers presented by SAP. We're talking about social selling surprises this year. We're almost at the end of the year, so it counts and we're going to look forward. We'll stargazing in the crystal ball to 2016 and talk about predictions with our three esteemed panelists. We're talking today with Kurt Shaver at the sales foundry, Jim Fields at SAP. And of course our series sponsor and, uh, the brainchild of this the brainiac of this who put this whole thing together and my goodness kirsten boileau was really time for us to do a series on social selling it had to be done so i'm so happy you conceived of this so let's start with surprises regarding social selling in 2015 kurt shaver let's kick it off with you i'm just going to ask you to talk to me tell me what do you see as the surprises this year
3: well, gosh, so many of them sent around some big changes at LinkedIn in 2015. Uh, I just start rattling down the list. Uh, the, early in the year, they acquired the online education company, Linda, and have since incorporated that, which is going to be a really big deal in terms of business education. Uh, they, LinkedIn changed its messaging format in the Q3 from a really an email type of a interface to more of a chat, and that's really brought some dramatic changes. Uh, making changes to groups right now and announced a big upgrade to the mobile platform, which we'll probably see in Q1. But, um, other other big news is, hey, Oprah got on LinkedIn this year. Can you believe it? <laughs> so that's a, I guess that's a milestone right there. But um, probably the biggest thing, if we go talk really specific in social selling for this podcast, is that... In August, LinkedIn rolled out individual access to each member's social selling index. This is a score of the four primary activities uh involved in social selling, and it gives you a score between zero and a hundred and They mm-hmm. put a big push into essentially making this like the credit score of social selling so uh everybody's using that both for uh metrics and training as well as bragging rights and so that that's that's a quick sample of some of the big changes.
2: Very interesting. Thank you very much. Let's go to Jim Fields and see what you, what did you observe? You agree? Disagree? You have your own list? Talk to me, Jim.
4: Well, I think the most important thing that happened this year was that I was invited to be on Game Changers radio three times. Oh. You're you're a real trend maker, Bonnie. I have to give you credit for, (laughs) you know, spotting those new trends. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> blame Kirsten <laughs> um,
4: so a, a couple of things like our focus on our team has been really uh, very much around doing missionary work with our sales teams on the power and the value of social selling and w- I, One of the things I saw this year that they it might look like a dichotomy, but it actually kind of makes sense is on the one hand, we've seen our sales leaders really. Uh, get enthusiastic behind social selling as the new, they see it as like the new way to sell, right? The next wave of selling in the past, there were things like solution selling, um, you know, and other sales methodologies. And I think they're now seeing uh, social selling as a real way to engage in new ways with customers and prospects. And they're, they're encouraging us to enable their teams to, um, Understand the concept and put it into practice uh, the other side of that coin though is as part of this process, we did uh, social uh, profile audits of our senior sales leaders, and it was quite interesting to see actually how bad their LinkedIn profiles were before mm. you know we we um, kind of did a boot camp for them and helped them um, you know bring them up to what you would want as a standard for you know, a sales leader. So I, th- I thought those were two interesting um, but and kind of diametrically opposed uh, development, but ones that I think do, um, you know, in a Yogi Berra sort of way make sense.
2: Well, I think Yogi would be very flattered. I don't know if he ever expected he would be mentioned in such a esteemed company on Game Changers Radio. But let me just add some statistics to that, Jim. I just looked up uh, – Business insider for Jeff Wiener, who became the CEO of LinkedIn in 2009. LinkedIn now has it's a network of 364 million registered users with offices in 30 countries and a market cap of 26 billion. Forgetting about the money part. Can anybody afford to be in business and not have a decent LinkedIn profile today? Jim since you mentioned you were shocked at how bad some LinkedIn profiles are. What do you think? Is this something you can afford not to do?
4: I don't think you can um, be a credible leader in sales and marketing and business these days without um, you know having a profile that represents your position in the market, your influence among your um, peers. And um, I do think it may be unacknowledged now, but uh, over time, um, it will do damage to your brand as a leader if people, you know, who understand where the market's going, um, you know, look you up and see that, um, you know, you really don't have a presence or something that, you know, represents your true status in the business.
2: Mm, I just looked up uh, the 10 worst LinkedIn profiles ever, an article done, it's actually a year ago from 2014 by Brendan Gallagher, a freelance writer, and there's some interesting things came up. He talks about having a picture where you're naked from the waist up for men, of course, that would be it, but... (laughs) <laughs> talked about extremely business casual but one thing i'm just going to throw out at you before we get kirsten in on this uh um, the the caption for number two is we doubt it and this person's name is mike i'll leave the last name out he calls himself on his linkedin profile the coolest guy in nashville google it to see for yourself <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> jim good now, labeling ugly.
4: yourself it's kind of like You know, giving yourself a nickname, people just kind of laugh at that, and they call you something else when you're not in the room.
2: Ah, ah, okay. I like that very much. Kirsten, what were some of the things that surprised you? You're always looking at these trends. This is what you do. This is your job, always looking at what people are doing. What were the biggest surprises, good, bad, or not so either, this year on LinkedIn, on any social media? Kirsten?
5: Uh, well, I deal so specifically with LinkedIn um, because of the partnership that SAP has with them that, uh, you know, I, I tend to focus on on the that aspect of social selling more than any other for the time being anyway. Uh, I guess I was really mostly surprised by the number of organizations that have not yet ad- adopted a social selling program or a, a social selling strategy into their sales motion um, I was at Sales Connect, LinkedIn Sales Connect, a couple of months ago now, and LinkedIn says that social selling has jumped the, ch- the chasm between innovators and front runners and over to the next phase of early adopters. And from what I saw at that at that um, conference, and from you know all the the conversations that I've seen happening in the social uh, platforms recently, I, I would say I don't agree with that. I don't think that we actually have jumped the chasm, that, and I um, and I think. That's where we really need. To, that was one of the biggest surprises for me, is that you know it didn't move as fast as I and probably LinkedIn has expected it to. Um, and yeah, I think that that's one of the biggest things that that's really um, been a big surprise for me. And the other thing is, and maybe this is just naivete on my part, that I I, doubt it. <laughs> I just <laughs> I w- I I'm struggling with how much uh getting people to actually change the way they do things uh, how how much effort it takes you know um taking a training session is easy for anyone you know they sit in on a a couple hours or a, a even a day long session and um they they come away with some tips and tricks and and you know some new ideas they probably only retain about you know 10 to 30% of what they spent that uh, time doing but when you ask them to go and make do things differently when they get back to their desks that that makes a huge difference and that um, is really hard for a lot of people. And I was really surprised at how hard that can be. Changing those habits can be really, really difficult for a lot of people. And that's just uh, one of one of the biggest surprises for me.
2: Mm. Let me ask you a question. First of all, I have another very interesting uh, oops profile on LinkedIn. The question of the editor of this article is, could anyone else pull this off? Apparently, it's Shaquille O'Neal's I'm not sure if it's him. It's hard to say from the picture, wearing a a college graduation robe, a red robe with some emblems and stripes. And it says Shaquille O'Neal, and the title is Owner, Comma, A Lot of Companies. (laughs) (laughs) Just a lot of companies based in Florida. Okay, good, good, good. Kirsten, is there such a thing as a, I'm just going to throw this out, a chief LinkedIn editor office position at a company where you're telling your people your salespeople, and other people involved in any kind of communications with customers with prospects with thought leaders on the outside of the company you say you have to have a LinkedIn profile is there an oversight committee is this going to be maybe not a C-suite chair in 2016 but does this position exist where the person just simply goes through and says wait a minute what do you mean a lot of companies wait a minute what do you mean uh, you know beer guard an impresario, hey, what do you mean a picture where your shirt is open too far down? What do you mean saying something like uh, the coolest guy in, in uh, Belmont, Massachusetts? Is there anybody who is checking up on these people from the corporate program, corporate consistency point of view, Kirsten?
5: Not in any official capacity. We do uh, have that um, as a practice of part of as part of what we do for our enablement programs and kind of the boot camps that that Jim mentioned, but there's no official capacity where someone sits there and reviews all of the LinkedIn profiles of all of the employees or all of the sales reps. Even um, it's not uh, something that we have have invested in at this time, but mm-hmm. I can see that it could be uh, from a, from an executive standpoint. It might be something that um, is certainly uh, needed. From a sales rep standpoint, it change, they change so fast. Um, I think in any organization, it's, it might be hard to keep up. But it would definitely be a full-time job. Let's put it that way.
2: I think I'm going to apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bonnie, I, I think you're... Jim. If I can
4: jump in. Yes, um,
2: please, Jim. Go yeah. ahead. I was going to ask well, you. a
4: couple of things we've been doing in that space, and, and um, Kirsten's right, there's no, like, uh, controlling governance model in place, but... Um, We've been taking kind of a train-the-trainer approach where our social media experts have been training the uh, marketing teams that are embedded, you know, and aligned to our sales organizations on how to do that kind of boot camp exercise, you know, with the smaller teams in particular regions or particular industries. And so we do have eyes on the prize in in that way in terms of, um, you know, kind of, pushing the uh, expertise out into the field. Um, and another thing we're doing, too, is whenever we have our national field kickoff meeting, um, we so this will be the third year in a row that we have a uh, essentially a LinkedIn booth or a social media profile booth where people can come by and get help and also mm-hmm. a professional photographer to take headshots. Because to your point, one of the mm-hmm. biggest... Um, you know, things that will, will cut your credibility on on, on something like LinkedIn, a LinkedIn profile is to have a really bad or poorly done or inappropriate headshot.
2: Absolutely. Kurt, thoughts about this? Anything the sales foundry is doing on this front or frontier? Yeah, so
3: when we, we train corporate clients uh, in, in the boot camp, which is usually a five or six week process, one of the one of the things that we do is we have a contest every week to drive participation. And uh, the first week it's the best profile contest. And in uh, most organizations, what we'll do is charge the first line sales manager. We'll we'll utilize them because it, you know at the end of the day they've got the accountability over salespeople. So we give uh, first line sales managers a uh, ten category spreadsheet that they can use to score their own whatever seven to. 12 direct reports. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it really provides a lot of insights to those sales managers about who's doing what and what are best practices that can be uh, gathered by just, you know, spending four or five minutes looking at it. So we we coach the sales managers really how to do that. And just as a a company is probably not going to dictate exactly the you know, shirt and suit and things like that a salesperson wears. They're certainly going to give them some guidance uh, about it, and so that that's how we approach that.
2: Thank you. I'm I'm wondering. Uh, you know, on. Facebook, on Twitter, any any of you can respond to this. There's always a question of authenticity, for example, with movie stars. Is Britney Spears, excuse me, really, if anybody cares anymore, really writing her own comments and her own profile? What about Ashton Kutcher? What about, I don't know, the Kardashians? Uh, and the question is, no, somebody's writing it for them, and we can see right through that. It's thinly veiled. They're they are paying attention, but they're really not. It's a hired writer. So the question is for CEOs... Does it matter if they have a press release person, a social media person, or a media communications person write their profile and keep it updated? Does it really matter as long as it's done well? Kirsten, any thoughts on that?
5: I believe that authenticity is one of the biggest um, key pieces of, of being social, whether it's for social selling or employee advocacy or just having a social presence. Uh, being authentic is is critically important to to being respected, to having a mm-hmm. reputation that um, you know stands up to the test of you know the, your company being in the news and that kind of thing. And I so well, it's possible that um, and and somewhat expected that uh, executives would have a writer. Um, help them with it i think mm-hmm. it still needs to be to my mind it still needs to be done in first person it still needs to to show their personality show their a bit of their humanness uh one mm-hmm. of the big things about social is that it, it brings everybody down to that kind of um same level and, or up to the same level i was so going to say up that. yes mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and, and and so you know keeping everything real and keeping everything authentic, keeping it very personal and human, that's one of the biggest gains for for having a social presence is to be able to relate to, to people, whether it's a CEO of, of uh, you know, a big global company or, um, you know, the, a sales rep at a, a local shop. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're, they're all the same when it comes to social.
2: Mm-hmm. Jim or Kurt, any comments? Agree or disagree with Kirsten?
4: Yeah, this is Jim. I've worked with a lot of senior executives and um uh on this kind of uh basis and virtually none of them is comfortable with somebody else representing them uh oh. 100%. Like uh, you know, just creating content on their behalf and pushing it out. For, you know for the reason that Kirsten mentioned, uh, and their reputation is at stake, but also they tend to be kind of control freaks too right that 's why they 're successful uh-huh. at what they do they They pay attention to the detail and um you know while I think it's completely appropriate for a senior executive to have somebody who helps shape their content um, it really needs to be authentically theirs and in their voice and um you know, as I said, I've rarely seen, at least in our business, people who just completely outsource, you know, their brand to some hard hands.
2: Thank you, Kurt. Any comments before I bring in some statistics here, and then we're going to go quickly to our 2016 predictions, Kurt?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think if I understood Jim correctly, I, I agree in the sense that I don't, I don't think uh, people want to 100% outsource that voice, but I, mm-hmm. I do believe that. Uh, busy executives can do some of it uh, I mean they can outsource some of it right and they don 't have they don 't have to do hundred percent of it uh, themselves i mean certain things like a you know a company press release or a partnerships or something like that that has been created, vetted by the p r department as a representation of the company right they don 't necessarily really have to touch that for it to go out to their own um social network so i think there 's areas that they can uh, Outsource to other communications professionals within the organizations, but they still have to come in with when it 's something that's personal or they 're going to putting their editorial opinion on it in order to maintain their authenticity.
2: And they should know what it says, no matter who wrote it. I have a quick uh, comment here. I found an article dated May 28, 2015 on Forbes by contributor T.J. McHugh, M-C-C-U-E. And he says LinkedIn is the top social network for CEOs. And let me just read a couple comments. Anybody wants to comment on my comments, let me know. CEOs were some of the last to jump on the social media train. Very interesting. With all the noise, it is not surprising that top executives would avoid any and all platforms that distract from their core work of running a company. However, a recent study by Weber Shanwick shows that LinkedIn, Kirsten, get this, is the preferred social network for CEOs. And then the comment, again, continues, overall, the number of CEOs using social media is still low at just 28%. Of those, there is a distinct favoring of some platforms over others. Now I don't know if you're going to be surprised. The most popular social networks LinkedIn is used by twenty two per cent Twitter by ten per cent. None of them say they used Facebook or Google, despite ten per cent said they used it back Facebook back in twenty twelve Kirsten, are you surprised by these findings? You think there's an embarrassment at being on Facebook or just a distraction?
5: I don't think so. Facebook is very much to me anyway and especially in the North American market is a very much a um, a, a personal place to, to hang out. That's what you mm-hmm. do when you're talking to your friends, you're you're talking to your, your family, you're sharing things about what's happening in your home or you know, where you're going on your vacation and that kind of thing. It's not the kind of place where you're uh talking to, to colleagues or to, to business associates. So you may have a few on there, but you know for the most part it's about family and friends linkedin is it's the professional network it's where you go for um, you know to to learn more about what's happening in your industry your your line of business or you know whatever that might be for you your market your audience it's where you go to to share um, your thought leadership your kind of uh viewpoints on on what's happening in in your your market um now that's not to say that it's always that way across the globe uh mm-hmm. i know that in in certain parts of europe facebook is far more uh, popular as a business to business um medium than than linkedin is and but uh, it does it you know it just really depends
2: on where you're at absolutely Thank you. And one more statistic here I'll throw up. The research finds that 8 in 10 CEOs, that's of course 80%, are now engaged online and via social media, a rate that has more than doubled since Weber Shanwick began tracking social activities of CEOs back in 2010. And here's a statistic for you. Uh, Kirsten, you'll appreciate this. They analyzed the sociability of the world's MPWs, that's Most Powerful Women, and found that 76% of MPWs are social, rivaling the rate of the world's top male CEOs. I don't think we're surprised at all. Are we, Kirsten Boylo? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There you go. I'll leave the guys out of this one because I'm ready to circle back to Kurt Shaver. Kurt, let's talk about predictions. What do you see coming down the pike or up the social trail or wherever you see the social scape taking us in 2016? Uh, Do you have any surprises you would like to predict? We're just going to go around the table. We have, oh, enough for about, I don't know, two minutes left for each of you, maybe three. Let's take three minutes each. Go ahead, Kurt.
3: Well, to me, the big prediction is going to be, I think that the number of social selling applications that are really extensions or add-ons to the core social networks. I think those uh, applications will just continue to explode in 2016, both the number and the functionality. So uh, to just to differentiate, I mean, there's sort of two classes, right? There's social networks themselves, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Those are the networks. And then there's a lot of the small, sometimes single function applications that are built up to enhance or extend or exploit those particular networks. And I just see so many of those popping up, um, you know, every single day. Uh, I think that's just going to continue probably for a couple of years before we see real consolidation.
2: Okay. Anything else? And tell me something. Will companies be able to survive at all or at all well in 2016 if they don't have an in-place social selling program where at least their top producers have converted from, oh, the dreaded old cold call, which still has its place. We've talked about that on several shows, uh, but cannot be the lead connection anymore. Do you think there will be fewer and fewer companies able to really survive in a very competitive marketscape, which is clearly global for almost everybody today, uh, Kurt, if they don't have a strong social selling program? What do you think? Well, if if they're
3: in the core business-to-business market, that I think your audiences and most of us are here, then then certainly they're going to need to ha- leverage some type of social selling. You know, if they're the further they are away from that, the more they don't have to do it. Right, if they're if they're you know running a retail store, a restaurant or a cupcake store or something like that or or they have more leads than they know what to do with or speed to revenue is not really important or they're not in a competitive market right or their customers are not on social networks if if some of those factors are in place then it's not too critical but if if it's the opposite uh, which it is for most B2Bs then they're going to want to amp their social selling skills
2: I have a quest- quick question. What about the proliferation, I don't know if it's still popular, of muffin and cupcake trucks, especially in California and probably in some college towns around the country, I'm guessing, as well? They rely on social, don't they? They tweet where the truck's going to be and what flavors of the day and what specials, yes?
3: Right, absolutely. Yeah. You're, that's a good point. You're absolutely right. I mean, they're using it there for a localization um, advertising perspective. So they're going to probably find best success on the, the Facebooks and uh, Pinterest and things like that.
2: So we'd have to go from farm to table and convert that to truck to table. But there I you digress. go. Oh, you
3: brought it all <laughs> around. You're a
2: pro, Bonnie. <laughs> I try. I, I work real hard at this. Thank you, Kurt, very much. Jim Fields. Take a good solid three minutes. What do you see coming up the pike on social selling in 2016? Anything edgy you want to to predict for us? Anything you want to go out on a limb for? Talk to me.
4: How about uh, the death of digital marketing and its replacement by social selling and employee advocacy? Is that edgy enough for you?
2: I think it is. I, I'm putting my seatbelt on. I don't want to fall off my chair here. I might just slide off into the abyss. So tell me, define, what are you saying? What does this mean? So
4: that's a, that's a little extreme. But if you've been following the news lately in the tech business, um, pri- privacy issues have really become very important. Um, and there was a, a very important decision by the EU uh, court recently about the exchange of personal information across uh, boundaries, you know, um, country boundaries, and what's what organizations are able to keep and share and use in um, things like digital marketing. And as a result of that, I think uh, a lot of the practices that have developed pretty quickly in terms of how to do things like native advertising, content marketing, and particularly retargeting based on somebody's um, online behavior and profile, will, at least for... 2016, until we figure it out, because we always do figure it out, will come under pressure. And a lot of the practices that have been proven effective, at least by large international organizations like ours, which would be subject to these new restrictions, would need to be scaled back until kind of the regulatory and legal dust settles. Um, And so into that breach, I see leaping the um, expansion of Social selling and its influence in terms of how to get to people that you want to influence um, customers, prospects, potential partners uh, influencers, and as well um, you know the practice of social advocacy, which we've spoken on of on a previous call, I mm-hmm. think will become that much more important in terms of you know how to continue to represent brands in the, in the in the social digital markets. And also accomplish some of the uh, development of a preference toward the brand um, that's, you know, some of those digital marketing practices I mentioned that are going to come under pressure, you know, have traditionally been doing the last few years.
2: Thank you very much, Kirsten. I'm ready for you. Don't hurry. We have uh, a good amount of time left, actually. So, Kirsten, what do you see as the future of social just one year ahead, 2016?
5: Oh, a couple of different things. I think, you know, Bonnie, I heard you ask Kurt if, uh, you know, companies that didn't have that social selling strategy or program in place would be, you know, kind of dead in the water in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I would say given what I've seen in 2015 and what actually surprised me about the the number of companies that have yet to adopt, uh, I don't think that um, not having that strategy in place is going to mean the end for that organization in 2016. Maybe Mm -hmm. kind of three to five years down the road, but not in 2016. I don't think it's not. um, It's becoming part of of the go-to-market strategy. It's becoming part of you know the the recipe for success for an organization. But it doesn't mean the end just yet. Um, yeah, okay. The writing is on the wall for those organizations, though. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, if they refuse to adapt and change, they are going to, to really lose out. Um, if their customers want to do business in the digital world. They want to interact. They want to engage. And if their, their companies you know, choose not to, then mm-hmm. the, the customers will go elsewhere.
2: Kirsten, let's flip the equation. I'd be, I want to ask you, what about the employees they're trying to get? Employees? Coming in, younger employees in particular, don't they want to embrace the social selling program? Don't they want a company that's already mature on social selling so they don't have to be the groundbreakers who say, oh, come on, kids, what are you waiting for? Do they want to go in and they want to be the ones who who, uh, disrupt or they want to be the ones who join the disruption already in progress? What do you see?
5: Well, interestingly enough, uh, I have worked with a number of our sales academies, which deal with, you know, the early talent, as we call them, the Having graduated from college or university in the last 24 months, and I actually was teaching at a local college here um, a few weeks ago, and when I asked the you know those groups both here and, and uh, locally if they'd her- ever heard of social selling or using social media networks for sales um, from a B two B perspective, they all kind of gave me these blank stares, like, huh? Mm. <laughs> Really? Uh, it, it's really interesting. People at that age, they just, they don't see, they see social as a way to engage with their friends, to engage with a company on a consumer level, but not from a, from a sales perspective from
2: as a career opportunity. What did you tell them?
5: I said, it is absolutely going to be part of your future. You need to know what it is and you need to embrace it.
2: Interesting. I I was teaching intro to social media at my local adult education program about two years ago, Kirsten, and I would have a lot of seniors come and take these. We used to call them adult education classes. And I'd say, well, I can teach you about LinkedIn. And if they're retired, they really didn't care about that, but they might have wanted to know about it because it was mentioned among family circles or neighbors. Anybody who was still working would be talking about it. Facebook, yeah, my niece and nephew, my grandkids are trying to get me on. What what do I need to do? And then when I came to Twitter, they would just start laughing. And I said, why? They said, oh, that's so silly. Who would ever want to be on that? Who cares? I woke up. I poured coffee. The sun was shining. Who wants to know that (laughs) C-R-A-P about people? And more and more, I was telling them, you would be surprised. You would be surprised that it's becoming a viable business communications tools. People are busy. They don't have a lot of time. Well-placed and well-worded sound bites on Twitter where you build up a a league of followers and you follow people with like-minded interests, business, social, whatever. Uh, It's becoming a very valued Mode of communication, and it's not just silly. And when I'd introduce them to Twitter, sometimes I'd say, You know, you can just follow your favorite sports stars, or you can follow little bits and pieces of newspaper headlines. It's another way to be connected to the world. What do you think? Do you agree that Twitter is gaining in social popularity in the business world, Kirsten?
5: In the business world, yes, I would say that more and more people are starting to use it, but more from a listening standpoint. They're listening to what their customers and their market is talking about, um, Uh and – rather than necessarily an engagement piece, but that's not to say that it won't move in that direction or you won't see more and more engaging in that way. Um, there are a few people uh, that actually very absolutely do use Twitter every day. They use it totally to engage and have conversations and uh, to to really, you know, grow their networks and grow their reputation. As um, And it's, it moves so fast that you can gain a reputation very quickly on Twitter. Um But from a, you know, big corporation standpoint, um, most people want to focus in on LinkedIn first and then, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of as they get through that and they understand how to use it, then they're moving into, okay, now what do I, how can I use Twitter Um, and and starting to use that as a different tool.
2: Secondary tool. Interesting. Just a quick statistic from the article I read a few minutes ago on Forbes, Kirsten. Uh, CEO sociability by region. I mentioned something about U.S. Well, in the U.S., 95% sociability of CEOs. Europe is 84%. Asia Pacific, 55%. And yet in Europe, Europe social CEOs have a highest growth rate in their social acceptance, their social participation, 25% increase, some very interesting statistics there. It's time for our lightning round. We already did predictions, so I can't ask you to do those again. So I'm going to give you each, let's see, we've got three minutes left. Let me give you uh, your top three words of wisdom. Yeah, each. Let's go around the table. Keep it to top three sentences, words of wisdom for our listeners as we close social selling with Game Changers for 2015, what you want them to think about. Kurt Shaver, top three at Tips of advice, fast, go.
3: I would say find out your social selling index, start your activities to boost it, and then just use that as your own self-metric to gauge your progress.
2: Man after my heart, brief until the point. Thank you very much. Jim Fields, top three tips.
4: I would say work to integrate social media and um, employee advocacy into your core marketing and sales practices, including the integration of systems where you can have end-to-end measurement of what the customer engagement and conversation looks like, and continue to push on developing enablement for salespeople because
2: they need to get there. Okay. Kirsten Boyleau, last but not least, what are your top three tips?
5: My top three tips would be make sure you understand the foundational principles of social selling. Make sure that you build yourself a good brand and, and focus on having a great digital presence. Make sure that you listen to your customers before uh, you know, engaging in the conversation so that you know exactly what they're interested in talking about. And then actually engage in that conversation and, and really grow your, your reputation and your, um, your overall uh, presence online
2: you <laughs> Thank you very much. Kirsten, it's been a great season working with you. I'm looking forward to Season 2 of Social Selling with Game Changers. I want to say thank you again to Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry, Jim Fields at SAP, and of course, Kirsten Boyleau at SAP for a wonderful season. You are my bookends. You started it, you finished it, and we've covered a lot of territory. And Kirsten, can't wait to see what your topic list looks like for 2016. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks so much for joining us for the series debut here in 2015 of Social Selling with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. A lot more coming. We'll be back with this series starting in early January. So check on the business channel and look for us. We're also debuting a whole bunch of other series. We're going to be busy. Justin, thank you so much for getting us and keeping us on the air. Shout out to Ryan at World Talk Radio as well. Ryan Treasure. And he is a treasure. And here's my call to action. Just before the New Year's, fasten your seatbelt. Make it a little extra tight. All right, loosen it up. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.